welcome to The Wrap, a weekly podcast covering women's sports news. Taking a look around the grounds, our winter athletes are crushing their respective World Cup events in the lead up to the Winter Olympics. The start of the AFLW has been plagued by ACL injuries and the Netball Diamonds kick off the quad series with two solid wins. For our key story, we'll discuss the pay disparities highlighted in the upcoming Asian Cup, where the women will receive prize money for the first time in the history of the 47 years of the tournament. For our interview segment on The Wrap each week, we jump into the ice bath with Budgie Smuggler. Just clarifying, it's not a real ice bath. Our guest this week is Iron Woman Harriet Brown. I've got a new co-host with me for The Wrap uh, kicking off 2022. We had a bit of a holiday. Um, and before I introduce the new guest, I just want to say a big thanks to Millie for all of her incredible work um, on The Wrap throughout 2021. You may have, if you've purchased something from our merchandise range, you may have uh, spoken with our customer service. Uh, the the She's actually very multi-talented um, is the new co-host, Bez. She has been doing the research for all of the podcast episodes, all of the rap episodes. She handles all of the merchandise like an absolute boss. She does a lot of work behind the scenes for the Female Athlete Project and invests a huge amount of time to this project. Uh, she's incredibly passionate about rugby as a whole, about women in rugby as a whole. She's give, she's telling me to wrap it up. I'm doing a long intro. <laughs> the people need to know this is important. Wow, as if I wasn't nervous enough. Gosh. <laughs> Oh dear, it's a big start. It is. I'm, it's, I don't know. I, I think we're done. That's it. Great. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. We'll see you next week. This podcast, we do the wrap every week. If you're new here, every Tuesday morning it drops at 6 a.m. And every Thursday fortnightly, I have an interview, a longer form interview with an athlete. So make sure you hit subscribe, give us a comment, give us a review, let us know what you think. And you can also order some merch, thefemaleathleteproject.com forward slash shop. And Bears will sort you out. Wrapped with loving care. Always. Let's do it. Let's get into it. Let's take a look around the grounds. All right. Starting off, winter sports. As Chloe said, the Winter Olympics are coming in hot and our Aussie athletes have been ripping all over the Northern Hemisphere. There's been a bit going on over the break. The three performances that really stood out in the last week, we had Jackie Narricott, who became the first Australian to win a World Cup gold medal in skeleton, or any sliding sport actually, with an amazing performance in Switzerland over the weekend. Now, for those of us not too familiar with skeleton, it's a sliding sport where single riders run as fast as they can before jumping on a tiny sled and hurling themselves down an icy track face down head first. Yeah, that's that's a thing. Um, elite riders experience accelerations up to 5Gs and reach speeds over 130Ks per hour. Narakot, who was a 2018 Olympian, had an epic first run, breaking the track record in St. Moritz with a time of one minute and... Oh. Time is always hard to read. One minute, 8.72 seconds. All right. <laughs> wow. Welcome. Wow. Narricot, who was a 2018 Olympian, had an epic first run, breaking the track record in St. Moritz with a time of one minute, 8.72 seconds. Her lightning quick first run meant she went last in the second run, but the pressure had no effect on the Aussie, who secured the gold with the second fastest run of the round. Narricot was ecstatic with the result and took the opportunity to call for more exposure and greater support when she said after the race, I really hope this might be the catalyst to get a few more girls in the sport and hopefully some more funding so we can have a coach and be competitive. We are pr- proving this year that we have the athletes. It's just having the foundations behind us to give us a chance. They m- mustn't have a coach, number one. And number two, your thoughts, Chloe, on jumping on a sled for your next sport? Yeah, no, I don't think so. 
That's I can't believe they don't have a coach. Yeah, frightening. Wow. Also over the weekend, Laura Peel um, on Instagram is at the Snogie. I think that's how you pronounce it. Um, we've had her on the rap before, actually, early days of the rap. She's been exceptional again this year in the World Cup. Um, she produced one of the highest scoring jumps of all time to win gold at the World Cup aerial skiing event in Deer Valley in the USA. Just prior to this, she became the third woman in history to nail the, oh, what did she do? The, the full, full, full. Triple twisting back. No, because she didn't do it in competition. She did, a, she did a jump the other day. We posted a reel about it. Oh, yeah. And she hasn't nailed that jump yet. But in comp, she did the full, full, full triple twisting, triple back somersault to record her seventh World Cup victory of her career. She won by almost 35 points and her score was so impressive. It would have put her on the podium in the men's event. She talked about the fact that she's been putting in work on the triple for a few seasons now. And she's always really grateful for the experience um, that she has when things start to get tough. Fellow Aussie Danielle Scott almost made it a double podium for Australia, finishing in fourth place after attempting her first ever full, full, full in competition, which scored 80.27 points after having a bit of trouble with her landing. After six events this season, Peel has now moved into third place on the World Cup standings with Danielle one spot behind in fourth. And on Sunday, Aussie Tess Cody recorded the second World Cup victory of her career with an impressive gold medal performance in the slope style event at the Lax Open in Switzerland. Cody sealed the triumph with an outrageous frontside double 1080 on the last jump. Double 1080. That sounds. Is that. I can't do that math. It's a lot. Um, Cody noted that the front Is side. Three, three sixties. Yes. <laughs> we'll go with yes. The front side 1080 is new for Tess. Um, she said she learned it a few months ago at the Prime Parks in Dubai, and she was super stoked to bust it out in competition over the weekend. Her second run saw her score 86.18 and finish a huge seven points in front of Austrian Anna Gasser who is the defending Olympic big air champion. Cody's second run was, again, like Laura Peel, so exceptional. It was the biggest score across both the men's and women's finals at the Lax Open. Um, they now head off, those kind of ex-gamey people, to Aspen to um, yeah, do some more 1080s in Aspen before the Olympics. Amazing. In AFLW, season six is here and there's plenty to chat about from the first two rounds. Unfortunately, round one was pretty well overshadowed by three star players um, from their respective teams, unfortunately rupturing their ACL ligaments. Uh, so, so we had Izzy Huntington at the Bulldogs, Bree Davey at Collingwood and Brisbane Lions player Kate Lutkins, who all went down in the same round. It was really hard to watch. It was quite heartbreaking. Um, good friends with a couple of those girls and seeing them go down. Izzy had done her third ACL, Bree had done her second and it's a first for Kate. So Obviously, season-ending injury is going to have to go in for surgery to have it um, to have it repaired and go through a pretty lengthy rehab process. And there's been a lot of talk about it that kind of overshadowed that first round. A lot of people coming in with a whole range of different opinions about what it was. Is it the part-time nature? Is it a physiological thing? Is it the time of year? Um, I think it's really interesting to see the way Erin uh, Phillips talked about it. So she was on a, an AFLW podcast and she talked about the fact that she started working full-time um, hosting morning radio breakfast. And she talked about the fact that this is the first time she's had a full-time job outside of just being an athlete. So throughout her entire career as a, as a basketballer, she could devote all of her time to do that. So she's talked about the fact that having to start working to really set herself up to do something after football, it's been really bloody tough. 
She's joined a number of players calling for AFLW to shift a genuine full-time program and said that, I honestly believe that when it does become a full-time role, I'm not saying that ACLs would never be a part of sport. That's just not how it works. But I do feel very confident that if girls were given the opportunity to play year round and put the time and effort and money and practice into their body, just purely being paid as an athlete, you've got to believe there's going to be less injuries. There's also been some discussion around the start date of the AFLW season with Phillips feeling that the perfect time to commence would be in October almost immediately after the men's AFLW season finishes. It might clear a bit of space for the footy market so it's not competing as, uh, against as many sports for airtime. We're obviously going to see the Australian Open about to start, which the AFLW is going to have to compete with as well. And a lot of the time there's hard cricket pitches in the way. Yeah, tell us about the hard cricket pitch, Chloe. Um, <sighs> had a bit of a fight with one in Mackay. Yeah, so round one I kind of almost got my legs taken out and did a bit of a tumble and landed directly on it and – my AC joint in my shoulder has not been happy since. Um, so I would love to play at a time of view when there's no cricket pitches in the middle of the ground because being a midfielder in the AFLW, getting tackled onto a cricket pitch is not fun. No, and it's interesting, you know, doing the research leading into this um, first step back from a bit of a break, I was struck by how much amazing women's sport is happening at this time of the year, you know, that we've got – Obviously, the AFLW, we've got the A-League Women's, we've got obviously netball happening overseas. WNBL. WNBL. There's a lot going on and it is traditionally a time and when you add in tennis and cricket, mm-hmm. obviously, um, it's, it is a, it is tends to be a time where people are on holidays yes. and aren't necessarily as engaged with their normal every day. I understand the need for clear air, feel that, but I also think that maybe it's time we give the girls the chance to play in the season and no more cricket pitches. In netball, the Diamonds are in action in the UK. Uh, they've opened their quad series between Australia, New Zealand, England and South Africa with a win. It was the shooting combination of Steph Wood and Gretel Boweta that impressed and helped the Diamonds to a significant 53-39 victory on Sunday morning. Big win over the, over the Kiwis. We love that. Big win. Boyda absolutely crushed her trial on the goal shooter's bib, missing just two goals in her 60 minutes of game time. She drained 31 of her 33 attempts, converting at 94%. Boweta proved nearly impossible to contain drawing on her basketball experience to produce layups, impressive aerial skills, and creative ball work that kept the Kiwis guessing. Um, so she's previously played in the goal attack position. Uh, she shifted into the shooting circle for the return of vice-captain Steph Wood, who also contributed on the scoreboard with 19 goals at 86% accuracy. The Wood and Boweta experience was so successful, it forced the Silver Ferns to try and shift their defensive shape and tactics in an attempt to shut down the Aussie pair. The Diamonds backed up their round one win with another dominant display against South Africa on Monday morning. The 60-40 to 40 win sees the Diamonds secure their place in the final of the Quad Series after England beat the Silver Ferns 49-46. to 46. The Aussies will face off against the host England on Wednesday morning our time in the final round matches before going cup hunting on Thursday. In basketball, I can't really believe that we're nearly at the halfway point of the WNBL season. It's been very heavily impacted by old mate COVID-19. Um, that's, that's impacted a huge amount of the team. So we've seen, unfortunately, a lot of games cancelled and postponed because too many members of the respective teams have tested positive or been close contacts and haven't been able to get the numbers together to play. But the positive news, big news, um, was a mammoth record for Kelly Wilson, who in her 19th season played her 400th game of WNBL last week and never before reached milestone in the league. 
Wilson has returned from having a kid and she was as humble as ever. She she was actually a little bit uncomfortable about all the fanfare about her ticking off this achievement. But the fact that she's had a kid come back in her 19th season, that's like that is some seriously impressive longevity there. Longevity, absolutely, which is handy in basketball. Yeah, it really is. On and off. You know, long limbs. Long limbs. Sorry, I- that's my first bad joke. <laughs> <laughs> Luckily, you're still on probation. <laughs> In the 400th game, unfortunately for Kelly, the UC Capitals couldn't get it done on the court, uh, going down to the Perth Lynx 69 to 88. In athletics, our great friend Jess Hull just keeps getting better. Over the weekend, she smashed a 21-year-old record at an indoor event in Texas. Hull broke the Australian 3,000-metre indoor record running eight minutes, 39.79 seconds, smashing Benina Willis's record by almost three seconds. The lightning quick run means Jess has qualified for the World Athletics Indoor Championships, which will be held in Belgrade, Serbia, starting on the 18th of March. Let's take a look at the key story. In soccer, the Matildas are currently preparing for the Asian Cup that kicks off this Friday. Throughout the 47-year history of the competition, women's teams have not received any prize money for their efforts. For the first time in 2022, the champion of the AFC Women's Asian Cup will receive a prize purse of US $1 million, about $1.4 million Australian, while the runners-up and losing semifinalists will earn US $500K and US $150K respectively. So in direct comparison at the 2019 Men's Asian Cup in the UAE, the total prize pot for the teams was US $14.8 million, with the winning team receiving US $5 million and the runners-up receiving US $3 million. Each of the 24 teams, including the Socceroos, actually received US $200,000 just for competing. We've seen it in the World Cup in particular. We saw the US women's soccer team uh, with their massive call out and their strike for equal pay. Um, And a lot of fans across the globe, particularly in the US, but across the globe, got behind this movement that I think the US women were kind of at the forefront of throughout the World Cup. And unfortunately, this Asian Cup example is, is another one where like the fact that it's 2022 and it's the first time they're receiving prize money. And I think they've probably tried to spin it in a positive light. Like the women are finally getting paid, but it's st- there's still a really significant difference in, in the amount of prize money that's being distributed between the men's and the women's. And let's think about the teams competing at, at this Asian Cup. That there then becomes a complete out-of-pocket expense for all of those associations throughout Asia. Look, I, I don't know off the top of my head, but I can imagine there'd be teams that haven't attended in the past because they literally can't afford to. Yeah, correct. We do love stats usually. We don't love this stat, but another sobering figure, I guess, to demonstrate this inequality, FIFA are going to double the Women's World Cup prize pot to US $60 million for the 2023 World Cup that's going to excitingly be held on Australian and New Zealand soil. While the pot for this year's Men's World Cup in Qatar has been boosted to US $440 million, with the single team that wins the men's tournament pocketing US $50 million, almost the entire pot that the women's competition will distribute to each of its 32 participating nations. There's a long way to go. There's some big numbers there, Mm -hmm. and there's a big gap in between those big numbers. Yeah, I'm, we're working on an analogy. This might be an Instagram reel soon because there's, there's absolutely some – this needs to be addressed. And I think sometimes people who don't understand why funding and prize money is so important, why the equality of that is so important, yeah, it's got huge implications for years to come. Now it's time – 
for the budgie smuggler ice bath. The Nutrigain Iron Series kicked off over the weekend at North Bondi Beach. Harriet Brown and Lana Rogers dominated the women's racing, which saw some thrilling racing over the two days of competition. Harriet Brown is a World Iron Woman champion, Nutrigain Iron Woman Series champion, and Australian team captain. She took the win in round one on Friday and backed up her performance with a silver on Saturday before the third round was postponed on Sunday due to tsunami warnings. Chloe caught up with Harriet earlier this week. Harriet, welcome to The Wrap. Firstly, can you tell us a little bit about how you first got into surf lifesaving uh, as a youngster? Yeah, for sure. Thanks for having me, Chloe. Um, I started as a nipper at Ocean Grove in Victoria, so I lived in Geelong. It's uh, freezing down there, so I'm still <laughs> not sure how I got to pursue that as my my main sport and passion. Um, I started out as a nipper when my sister joined the sport. I was more of a swimmer and runner growing up. Um, but up until year 12, I did uh, athletics, cross country, water polo, hockey, swimming and surf lifesaving. So I didn't really kind of specialize until I finished school. I moved up to the Gold Coast to study. And that's when I really started to kind of pursue surf lifesaving and Ironwoman racing. What was it about the sport that drew you in once you were up on the Gold Coast? What I loved about it most when I was younger was probably that I made really good friends down at Ocean Grove and at the beach. And I just used to love going down to the beach, begged out every afternoon to try and um, drive me down just so that I could see my friends. Um, But then after that, I think what I really love about it the most is just being out in the ocean and being in the surf. And I love sport, but kind of pool swimming to me um, wasn't as exciting. And so I love how every day is a little bit different and you never know what you're going to get. When you were young, did you see it being a viable option for you as an athlete? Like, did you did you see the pathways that were in place for you to become an Iron Woman? No, absolutely not. I thought, um, I knew that there was the kind of professional Nutrigrain Iron Woman series happening. Um, but I grew up without social media, so I didn't really know um, what was going on. And usually when it was on TV, I was out doing sport myself. Um, and so I kind of had the dream of making the Iron Woman series, but my goal was to go up to the Gold Coast, do university and dabble in a little bit of Iron Woman racing. And then as soon as I finished my studies, move back and get a quote proper job. And, um, <laughs> and that would be it. And here I am. I'm um, 31 and I've been racing for 13 years in the Ironman series. That's very cool. You've made a good life out of it. You've done very well. And you've, you've had a great start over the weekend racing in, in Bondi at Bondi Beach. So took out gold on in round one, silver in round two, and then prepared for uh, round three. But because of the tsunami warning, that's been postponed. Um, can you talk us through um, the first two rounds and, and how well you performed there? Yeah, I was just feeling really good. The weekend before, I also raced in North Bondi at the Summer of Surf, um, which is another event, and I won that one. So I was kind of just feeling really good. I've done a fair bit of training, uh, as we all do, um, but, yeah, a fair bit of training with Northcliffe and my coach, Floody. Uh, We've got a really good group of girls there, so we all push each other. And just heading into round one, I was feeling good. It's the enduro, so we do two Ironwomen in a row, which is board, swim, ski, Um, in an M shape we go in and out of the break twice for each leg and we do that twice in a row so it's kind of 40 45 minutes of continuous um, racing um so yeah I was looking forward to that one the most and I just happened to to win it which I was really (laughs) really happy about um 
I was probably a little bit lucky at one point, made a really good decision to pull ahead and in surf when you can get a bit of a gap with the wave breaking, um, it does make it a little bit easier to, to keep pulling ahead. And in this second round, um, it was a really, really short, sharp racing. We had, it was called wave cross, a lot of different racing formats that we did and people were eliminated. And so the last race, it was four of us in there and Lana Ward Rogers um, won. I got second, but it was really short, sharp and closer racing. And so what is going to happen? So because of the postponement, not exactly sure what's going to happen with round three and then still to come will also be rounds four, five and six. So what will that look like from your end? Yeah, it was crazy waking up and all being nervous. You do your pre-race warm-up and have your food and everything set to go. And then the tsunami warning came and we were told that we couldn't race. So it was pretty disappointing, um, especially kind of when I was feeling really good. So I actually have no idea when that one is going to be happening. I don't think that they've quite um, figured that one out yet. So all the athletes are kind of just um, waiting to hear. But rounds four, five and six will definitely be on. Uh, well, hopefully, <laughs> pending everything else um, going on in the ocean. But um, the 4th, 5th and 6th of February on the Gold Coast at Karawa. And interested to know, looking at the Iron Series as a sport, um, obviously competing as a female athlete throughout your career, have you noticed major differences between the men and women or any specific experiences? Has it improved or, or how does that look like from your end? Yeah, I'm really proud to say now that it's very even. Um, we all race for the same prize money. We all have the same airtime. Um, wow. It's probably one of the things that I, I love about our sport is it is very even um, between males and females. Uh, it wasn't always that way when I was first in the sport. Uh, we raced for slightly different prize money in different events and also less distances. So we might do two irons when the men might do three mm-hmm. and that kind of thing. And um there were some female athletes before me who were the ones that were kind of championing that to change. And um, luckily it has, or thankfully it has been able to change. And I think now we, we really do show that we are, um, you know, the same in, in the way that we race and, and how we apply ourselves and how we train. So, and we're all really good friends and train together. So it's great and it's how it should be. Yeah, exactly. I love that. I think there's there's plenty of other sports that could follow suit. So that's really cool to hear the way that um, there's equality across the board. That's awesome. Thank you so much for coming on and having a chat and wishing you the best of luck for rounds four, five and six and hopefully round three if that gets rescheduled too. I hope so too. Thanks so much <laughs> for having me, Chloe. Let's take a look at what to watch. The Matildas kick off their Asian Cup campaign on Friday. Kickoff is at 9 p.m. Australian Eastern Daylight Saving Time. There's a lot of words in that. You can watch live on free to air on Channel 10. The Diamonds play England in the quad series on Wednesday morning in a dress rehearsal for the final. Catch it live on Foxtel and KO at 6.30 a.m. AEDT. <laughs> Less words. More soccer. <laughs> wow. And there's more soccer to watch. The A-League women are seven rounds into their season and Sydney FC sit on top of the ladder with six wins and one draw from their seven matches. Melbourne City have a game in hand and are hot on their heels in second place. The two heavyweights will meet in a top-of-the-table clash this Sunday in what could be an early glimpse at the finals. Watch on Paramount+. Plus. The Ashes begins on Thursday with the first T20 being played at Adelaide Oval at 7pm. If you can't get to the ground, you can watch live and free-to-air on 7Mate and also on Foxtel and KO. 
in what to listen to. We're back with the athlete, the female athlete project athlete podcast. I probably need to get a better name for that, but you know, the the long one where I chat to the athletes. Um, This week's guest is incredibly impressive. Melissa Tapper, Millie Tapper as she goes by, is the first Australian to have competed at both an Olympics and a Paralympics in table tennis. She is, she's incredible. She's incredibly articulate. She's got an amazing story. Um, her, her stories about the way she trains and prepares and her level of dedication and motivation to her sport. Um, it was, yeah, it was really special to have the chance to sit down and chat with Millie after she finished competing in Tokyo at both the Olympics and the Paralympics. So check it out Thursday morning, 6am. That one will be dropping. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast so you get a notification. You don't miss out. Do you think she had to change rooms? I don't know. If you had a better researcher, they probably would have told you to ask that question. You might need to work on that. (laughs) And that's the wrap. You made it through. Well done. Thanks. Only a few sweaty palms. (laughs) We'll see you next week. See you next week, friend. If you're invited back. (laughs) It's only (laughs) 50-50. 60-40. Bye.